build each other up because we're all in the same struggle. We're all just doing our best. We all want to be successful. Hey, everybody, Emily Abadi checking in here. You are listening to episode 215 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can strive toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode 215, I am chatting with Annie Coons. She is a heptathlete and Olympian, and I am so, so amped to bring you this conversation. We talk about so many things in today's episode, ranging from the injuries that Annie sustained, putting her on the injury list for this year's world championships, what it feels like for her now to have a sponsor that not only believes in her, but invests in her within a morpho, plus what it really means to be a heptathlete, which featuring seven different events, it has a slew of challenges outside of just hurdles. So amped to bring you this conversation. Really excited personally to be back in Brooklyn after, man, a uh, a decent amount of travel woes and still feeling on a high from the Salt Lake City Unleashed conference. I digress. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. If you are not yet following along with the weekly Hurdle, I would love for you to do so. The link to subscribe to the weekly newsletter, which gives you so many of the same things you love about the show, ranging from motivation, inspiration, my gear picks, and so much more in your inbox every single Friday is in the show notes. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Annie Coons. She is a heptathlete. How are you doing today? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm happy to have you here. I would be remiss if I didn't kick this off by addressing what's going on with you right now. And what's going on with you right now is you're making a comeback from some injury. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm this definitely, you know, you go to the Olympics, it's like this peak moment and you think it's going to be easier from that moment on. And I think this year has uh, proven to me that that's not the case always. And that adversity is just part of the sport. And so unfortunately for me, that's kind of been my situation this year, um, battling a torn plantar fascia, um, which is kind of where your arch connects to your heel. So you kind of need that for seven different events that I do. Um, but it's kind of been a year of blessings in disguise. I think it brought to light a lot of things that weren't mechanically working very well in my feet and the way I was running. And so it's kind of helped me to take care of the little things this year. And, um, I think I needed a little bit of a reset just after the five-year grind of, of the Olympics and training for that. So it's kind of given me a, a chance to do that. And so I'm super grateful for that, but excited to get back out on the track. I'm, def- I'm definitely missing it and, um, sad not be part of world championships this year, but it's part of it. And I'll, I'm trying to make a comeback. So I appreciate this perspective and the, this is in some way, although not easy happening for me, did it take work with a coach or just time to pass for you to be in this place and have this perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, I'd be lying to you if I was like, I'm always this positive and and it's, you know, always blessings in disguise, but I think it's kind of waves of it where you're feeling super motivated and you're, you're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And then there's waves in the bottom where you're like, oh my gosh, this stuff is tedious. Like rehab is not fun. I'm not out on the track with my friends and by myself every day. So I think it's just doing things to put your like daily to kind of put your mindset in the right place. And then accepting those moments when you're at the bottom and you're like, okay, 
I'm really not feeling it. And that's okay. I don't have to be super positive all the time, but just kind of behaving your way to success in those moments. That's kind of been my mantra that I've given myself is like, you're not always going to feel like you want to do that, but you've got to just show up every day and do it. And so that's kind of helped me. And then just taking the time to like recharge with friends and family, because I usually don't get that during the summer and doing things to kind of fill my cup in that way, um, where I don't have track feeling that role really this year. I didn't know when I was going to ask you about your injury that you were going to tell me about plantar fascia because I've been dealing with some issues. Although thankfully, knock on like my wooden desk right here, uh, it's not torn, but I have been navigating plantar fascia stuff. And it does bring to light so much about your mechanics. I am like doing so much calf stuff now. It's like me constantly releasing my calf when I'm crossing my legs and like moving my ankle around. So I feel you. I've been yeah, there. It definitely shows a ton of like what's not working right because you're not going to get plantar fascia if like your <laughs> all of your mechanics are perfect. So um, I definitely am just grateful for that opportunity to kind of fix those things and lay the foundation for the next two years on the way to Paris 2024. What's the predicted recovery time for you right now? Like, do you have a an outlet or a insight into when you'll be back on the track? Yeah. So I just got my MRI, my second, my follow-up MRI last week. Um, so I'm actually supposed to get those results today. I'm patiently waiting in anticipation to hopefully um, be cleared to kind of progress more into running and accelerations and all that. So I'm very, very excited for that. I've been pretty much doing non-impact stuff for about three to four months. Um, uh, I was working like on the alter G, so kind of takes your body weight away so I can do that kind of running, but nothing like fully on the track. So hopefully this next week or two, I'll be able to get cleared to kind of move over back to the track and um, or we'll probably be on grass at first, but be outside running. <laughs> so super excited. I mean, I don't know about you or how much you've shared about this particular injury on social, but I know that plantar fasciitis as a whole is like super buzzy because so many people navigate it and deal with it and are so frustrated with it. So beyond taking this time and doing a lot of non-weight bearing stuff, switching up your exercise routine, what else have you been doing from a recovery POV to give maybe your foot a little bit more of what it really needs? Well, so I've actually started, I started working with like a rehab specialist, Andrew Hauser. He worked with the Dodgers for a while and he's given me just like, like all the things that I've never done before, never had the time for. I feel like as a heptathlete, you're like, your days are just so long that there's certain things you just don't make time for. <laughs> and I've actually done that this year. So like, it's a ton of like mobility stuff and then foot strength things. I use the thing, um, a toe, a toe pro thing. So you're like a lot of calf eccentric raises. Um, it's a lot with plantar fasciitis. You don't want to just take the time off. You're actually loading it to build that strength back. Um, you obviously don't get surgery. That's like last option. So it's really just tedious rehab for the last few months. Um, and then also learning how to put force into the ground properly, because we realized that my right foot wasn't doing that. Um, so I use this a lot. Of, I do a lot of stuff with like a water bag and it's kind of like balance and mobility and strengthening functional strength stuff. So, um, it's been super fun and different. And so that's kind of been, you know, exciting in a way and just trying to lean into that and hope that it, it works and I heal up. I love, I just like, I keep smiling here. Um, no one's like, look at me smile as they listen to this, but I'm just, it feels so nice to hear you seemingly be at peace with something again, that has at times so frustrating feel. You mentioned at the top of this, not participating in world champs. How does that feel for you? It stings. Like, you know, you say that and I still, I just get like a sensation in my body. Like, you know, and I think that's good in a way because that means that competitor spirit and like that love and passion is still there. Um, and so I think at first there was definitely a few weeks there where, um, you know, you're looking at what girls, other girls are doing and they're training and they're at meets. And this is my first year and gosh, I don't know. I honestly don't know the last time I took a year off like this. <laughs> um, and so just kind of watching your competitors still doing what you love was really tough. And so I kind of had to take a break and just like force myself not to look at that and just lean in and be present in what I'm doing in my reality right now. Um, so it's definitely tough, but I also think I took some time to really get introspective about it and know and, and feel where I was at. And I, this whole year mentally was different. It was, you know, it's this pinnacle moment where of your career, where you make the Olympics, 
I did better than I expected I would do. And it kind of opened my eyes. I thought I was going to be done after Tokyo. And then I realized leaving Tokyo, I'm not done. I want to compete for a medal. And I, I know that potential is there, which I kind of shocked myself with. So um, adjusting to that and then kind of fit, coming back from Tokyo and being like, okay, let's hit the ground running. Let's go. I only took like nine days off. I didn't allow my body to break. Mentally, I was struggling just allowing myself to be present and practice and focus. And so I feel like the burnout actually really hit me, that mm-hmm. Olympic hangover that everyone talks about. Um, and so <laughs> I feel like it's all just happening for a reason in that if I want to be successful in the next two years leading to Paris, I think I needed this summer to take that break mentally and physically. Um, and I think physically it forced me into it. I think my body was speaking to me and I had to listen to that because knowing my personality, I don't take breaks. I don't slow down. So it forced me into that. And that's kind of how this perspective change has happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I've only had one other heptathlete on the show and it was a really, really long time ago. Her name is Georgia Ellenwood. So why don't you tell the hurdlers about the heptathlon if they don't have the background know-how? Yeah. So the heptathlon is uh, the women's version of the decathlon. So it's what Bruce, I would say it's what Bruce Jenner did. And everyone's like, oh yeah, okay. Or <laughs> uh, now Caitlin. But, um, and so it's seven different events over two days. Um, and it's based on a point system. So however far you jump, however fast you run, however far you throw, uh, there's a certain amount of points down to like the centimeter and millisecond. Um, and so you add it up over the two days and your, your score at the end is how you total, you know, first, second, third. And, um, it is, it is fun. It keeps me busy. <laughs> it keeps me busy. Give us the rundown of the events. It is hurdles, high jump, shot put 200 on day one. And then on the day two, it is long jump javelin in the 800. The dreaded no big 800. deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. How is it actually possible to excel at all of those events? Well, I joke that I'm just above average at a lot of stuff. I'm not yeah. excellent at one. So. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's interesting because A, the camaraderie within the heptathlon is really special and very different. Everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. You can kind of root for each other in a different way where it's like a different competitive spirit. And then it just, you don't get burnt out. If you have a bad event and you move on to the next one, you have another opportunity to be successful. So I think that's pretty cool about it. Being above average at a bunch of things. Have you <laughs> always been a dedicated multi-sport athlete? Um, y- yes, I've always, you know, I've done track and soccer since I was two and three years old. So I did that all the way through college. So yes, in that I for sure was, I didn't really know what the heptathlon was until my senior year of high school. And my high school coach threw me in one of them in, in Colorado. And then, um, as I was starting the recruiting process, all of the, uh, college coaches were like, you'd be an amazing heptathlete. And I had no idea what it was. And then I ran my first 800 and I was like, Oh my gosh, what did I sign myself up for? <laughs> what is this thing? So fell into the heptath- heptathlon late, especially because I was, um, a soccer scholarship as well. So my, I was basically a full ride for soccer, technically a walk-on for track. Um, soccer is a team sport. It always was my priority. And I would just do track because I loved it and didn't want to give it up. And then when I redshirted, finally dove into track fully my fifth year, it really took off for me and then kind of changed my perspective in that I thought there was more ceiling there and more, um, I wanted to see, you know, what that potential was in that, in that sport. And I'm happier than ever that I chose that. And fifth year strictly based on athletics. Yeah. Well, I needed it for school because I was always in, I was always in season. So, you know, I could really only do like 12 credits every, every semester because of, I was just in season, in season, fall to summer. And then my summer, you know, I, I didn't end till June. We had to report back end of July for soccer. So I only got like a month off every year. So I needed it for school anyway. And then my soccer coaches were really encouraging me like, Hey, we know we're going to be good. We want you to start. We feel like it takes you a few games to kind of get in the rhythm and build the chemistry again. You don't get the spring foundation that all the other girls get. Let's take us. We think it'd be great for you to take the spring, be with the girls, build that strength, get the foundation, go into fall. we actually ended up making final four. I was a starter all year. It was great. Um, and then I transitioned into track for a year and a half. And that was the first time in my life that I've put all of my eggs into track. And it took off and I, and I was happier in the sport. So I am just super grateful that I made that decision to kind of allow myself to fully be present in each sport for the first time. You say that you were happier in mm-hmm. the sport. Yeah. Why? 
I think that with soccer, I got a little bit burnout. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a little bit more politics in, in soccer, you know, with your playing time and, you know, does this coach like you or does this coach? And I mean, even like making national teams and things like that, those girls are in the system for a very long time. So it's very hard to kind of break into that. Um, with track, you're, you get the time, you go, you get top three, you go. And I love that about it. And I just felt myself being happier in practice. Soccer is like a sisterhood. You, the games are like nothing other, like winning as a team is just something so special that I'm very, very grateful for. And that was what I loved so much about it. But the day-to-day stuff, I wasn't as happy as in track, like the day-to-day once I transitioned, I was like super excited to get out there. I feel like I was learning so much because I was so behind in the sport. Um, so every day was just super exciting because I just felt like things were clicking every day and I was just a lot happier. When did you start to realize as you made this transition, just how much more above average you were at these things (laughs) than everybody else? Gosh, I think it took me probably the Olympic trials in 2016. Um, that was the year. So at that end of that year, that was my end of my fifth year. So I had okay. broken the school record, uh, or I qualified for the Olympic trials, which did not see that coming like whatsoever. I was like 22nd, I think out of 22 girls <laughs> that made the, made the, uh, Olympic trials. And then I finished eighth overall, um, at the Olympic trials. And that really opened my eyes. And, and that's where I broke the school record and things started clicking. And I got recruited there by my now coach, Chris Mack. Um, he saw me and his, his athlete, Heather was, um, a head's athlete and it was a dual sporty talked to her a lot. So she was like, Hey, like, I think you have a lot of potential in this sport and you should see how that, you know, where that takes you after college. I think Mac would be great for you. Um, and so I ended up moving to California to train full time. And I've never been more grateful to have that, that opportunity because I don't think if I didn't have that opportunity, I would have kept going in the sport. Yeah. So when you made the move uh, mm-hmm. at that time, were you or did you have any sponsors to help cover the costs that go hand in hand with diving full time into training? So I didn't have any sponsors until the Olympic year in 2021. Okay. So my after the Olympic trials is when I finally got some help financially. And so having the center there to pay for domestic flights for meets to uh, pay for our health insurance to get sports med, you know, help there um, to have a coach that was employed by USATF. Like that was game changer because I didn't have the funds. I didn't have the support behind me. Um, and it really did take me, you know, until 2019 to kind of get some, I got like, you know, Nike sent me like gear when, when I made world championships, some stuff like that. But I really didn't have like financial help until Amorpho sponsored me um, after the Olympics. And so I'm just so unbelievably grateful for a company that would support me and is behind me and um, wants to see me succeed because I haven't had that until now. Definitely a lesser known brand. So why don't mm-hmm. you shed some light on what Amorpho is? And then we'll go back to talk a little bit more about your journey to your first Olympic Games. Yeah, Amorpho is incredible. It's just so, you know, I've never seen anything like it. It's a startup company of weighted clothing apparel, um, workout apparel. And I, you know, they approached me and not only are they just amazing people, amazing people to work with, um, they value me as a, as a part of their company, which I think doesn't happen too often from just friends that I know that have had sponsorships. Um, they really con- they really consider me a partner and want me a part of a lot of things. So I was super grateful for that. But not only that, just the innovativeness of it. It's like, I, as a heptathlete, our volume is so high every day. Like we can't just add more. To, we To add more is really tough. And then, and with a morpho, it's like, I don't have to do anything different. I can throw on this stuff and I'm going to burn more calories and I get more out of my jumps. I'm going to get more resistance training. And so for me, that's just a tool that I'm going to gain an edge without having to do anything. Um, and I think when I got to the Olympics, I realized like it really is that extra 1%. Like everyone there is amazing. And it's really going to take that extra 1% to get, to get above some of those girls. And so something like a morpho is a tool to help me get there. I was just super excited about it. Yeah. And I feel like it's important to 
kind of stress here that the weighted clothing, so to speak, it's not like you're putting on 20 pounds and going to do the exact same stuff that you used to do. It's low in weight, right? Yeah. Oh, it's low in weight. Yeah. And so, but it, it does, it's crazy. Cause like you, you put it on and initially you're like, okay, it kind of feels something. You totally forget that you're even wearing it. It doesn't feel like anything. I think the leggings are like a pound and a half or something like that. Um, so not, none of the clothes are going to go over a pound and a half. And then the weight vest is about five pounds. Um, but the, that's the amazing thing about it. And you look at the science and the numbers, it makes sense. Like you really are getting more out of your workout, but you're not, you're not having to sacrifice, um, form. And that's huge because like the weight vest that we would use before, we used to joke, like we look like FBI agents. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like bulky. You're like moving differently. Your balance is off. Everything here is so fitted. And the, the way that they place the micro beads are so specific on your muscles, um, that, yeah, you don't have to sacrifice form, and that's huge. It's crazy hearing you talk about this now for me thinking about where you started. You were talking about your beginnings and prepping for that first Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Now with the know-how that you have, it's just a completely different athlete. It's it's hilarious. And I think that's, you know, going through this year, being able to give myself a little bit of grace because I'm like, Annie, think about three years before the last Olympics. Like, where were you then? And it's just completely different athletes. So I think just allowing myself to lean into the moment that I'm in and, and taking that for what it is and, and knowing that, you know, like so much can change in a year. And so I, yeah, definitely it's funny to look back and just realize the difference in athlete that I am now compared to then. What else was going on in your life when you made your first Olympic team? Oh my gosh. What was going on in my life? Yeah. Ugh, I mean, it was everyone on deck. I mean, it was my village of people, my fiance, my now fiance, we were, we were dating uh, back then, but um, our relationship that took the back seat. I mean, it was truly a team effort of like my coaches, my family, um, my sports, my sports, my team. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a pressure cooker too. I was living on site. So on the Olympic year, um, I actually moved on site. I was an offsite athlete they have a residency program. So you're either offsite or onsite. I moved onsite, which is like these tiny 300 square foot dorms. Like we didn't have a kitchen. We had, I brought like my air fryer and like a, we had like a mini fridge. I shared a bathroom with another 33 year old. It's like dorm living for a bunch of almost 30 year olds. (laughs) And so that was interesting. Um, but I mean, it had its pros and cons. I mean, you're in, you're in that you don't leave it. You can focus, you have no distractions. Um, but it did become a bit of a pressure cooker, um, just being surrounded by people that are all trying to make this, you know, goal, never leaving your place of work, really. Um, it was great, but also, you know, taxing. So I think I'm trying to figure out that balance now of living off site, but also being able to focus and put all my eggs into that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the difference from making the Olympic team to now. It's so interesting because I'm sitting here and I don't think I've ever heard about this residency program before. So would you be able to talk a little bit about that and how someone even gets to be a part of it? It's actually sad because they're, they're, you know, they're cutting the program after this year, which is unfortunate because I feel like it gives so many athletes the opportunity to be successful. Um, just funding is getting cut for it. So we'll have, uh, you know, training use, but we won't be able to do anything other than that. Um, they, we don't, we're not allowed to live on site anymore, but up until, you know, this last year, you were either there, I think there's like 30 of us somewhere in there. There's a jumps group, Jeremy Fisher's jumps group. Um, there's the multis. So Chris Max multis, and then John Degata has all the throwers. So those are kind of the three, um, and then pole vaulters, Mac, had pole vaulters when I first got there. So those are kind of the different categories that you can be a part of. And then there's Paralympic track and field. And basically it's a little compound, like it's the Olympic training, or it's now the Chula Vista Elite Athlete Training Center down in um, Chula Vista, South of San Diego. Um, And there's rugby, there's BMX, there's archery, there's rowing, there's us, there's Paralympic track. So it's kind of a little village of Olympic sports and people are living, breathing what they do. There's a dining hall for food. Um, and then there's dorms there. So you basically, and then they have their sports med clinic as well. So it's just, and who was paying for it? Uh, USA track and field, uh, huh. was paying for it. <laughs> Formerly paying for it. So, and they're, yeah, they're not employing our, our coaches anymore or anything like that. So um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a bummer, but it was amazing for the time that we had it because it just gave you the opportunity to be successful. And you're kind of immersed in being around all of these amazing gold medal. I mean, I was around Brittany Reese. I was, I'm around Will Clay. I'm learning from the best. I'm around the best. Ryan Krauser was there for a while. So, 
um, it really does put you in an atmosphere to be successful. So it's really unfortunate that it's ending. What would you say was one of the most difficult lessons that you had to learn uh, kind of immersing yourself in that mm. environment early on? I think the the comparison game, I think that is really tough. Um, I, you know, came in and A, I was out of shape. I wasn't in the shape that I should have been. I went on like a little drinking dinner like shortly after the Olympic trials in 2016. So I didn't come in as in as good of shape, which I really regretted because then I got there. I'm training with Erica Bogard, who is like just Miss Fitness. She is just tiny. She's strong. She's fast. She's amazing at distance stuff. So I was constantly comparing myself to her and trying to change, you know, how I do things to how she does things. And I think that was probably the biggest lesson is like, I am a completely different athlete than Erica Bogard. And I have to know that and know that like, I'm a power girl. Like I'm not going to be this like tiny, quick little thing. Like I'm six feet tall. I'm 160 pounds. Like I just had to really figure out how to not compare myself every day to her and try to be like her. I had to be like Annie. And so figuring that out took probably two years. I like was taken aback for a second, but I love that you just said your height and your weight, which is just bizarre because I feel like that's such a taboo thing. Have you ever felt that way as an athlete, like a little odd that like all of this information about you is just like kind of a public record at this point? Oh, yeah. And I think that was probably one of my biggest insecurities is like, oh, my God, I weigh like 160 pounds or like 162 pounds in off season. And like, you know, I feel like I was even looking up girls that are my height that are heptathletes. Like, what do they weigh? Like, am I, you know, it's like one of those mm. things that especially as a female I think in general, we're constantly being hard on ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people and figuring out, you know, I think how to fuel myself properly and know like, gosh, I'm like 160 pounds of muscle. Like I'm strong as hell. Like, um, and then like you look at Erica, I mean, she's five, seven, she's like this tiny, just genetically, she's smaller than me, but she's jacked as well. And so, um, just really just knowing like, okay, I'm just going to get myself to optimal performance, whatever that is. And, and accept that and know that like strong is better. And I think I struggled with that for a really long time. And I think you have coaches too, that make you feel like you need to be skinny or you need to be smaller to be more successful. And I had coaches in, in college that even told me like, Oh, if you lost 10 pounds, like you'd be amazing. So things like that, that really get in your head. I struggled with up until probably like 2019. Was there a turning point for that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know, just a God thing. I was on vacation with my boyfriend and his family and he, you know, anywhere we go, he makes friends with everyone, but he made friends with the bartender uh, at our hotel. And his wife happened to be a master's track and field athlete who also oh. is like a metabolic practitioner and got to talk with him. Long story short, I met with her and she just completely transformed, you know, the, my body and got me to optimal performance and taught me how to fuel myself properly. It was just a lot about like how you're eating, when you're eating certain things, cutting certain things out. And it's specific to my body. Like she just caters because everyone is so different. And I feel like that's frustrating too, because ever you know, there's this like myth that, you know, or there's just like a one size fits all, I think with like the paleo or keto or whatever, vegan, all that. It's like your body is so specific. And so she really caters to what works for you. Like, right. can I, can, what kind of carbs are good for me? You know, is it fruit? Is it potatoes? Is it whatever? And, and when certain things are good for me. So, and supplements, like what I'm deficient in, where my hormone imbalances are. Um, that's so specific to especially women. So she figured that out for me and got me on a protocol that transformed my body. Um, and finally got me to that optimal performance that I had been trying to reach and didn't know how. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you say like, I eliminated certain things or I cut back on certain things. People, you know, are listening and they're probably like, oh, I want to know what that is. But to your point, everyone is just so different. And of course, your performance goals are something to keep in mind here. Like this is your profession. And for so many people who may be stuck in their own version of the comparison trap, they're like, well, if I do this and this, then maybe I can look a certain way. But so many factors go into that, Where what your genetics are, what your everyday activity levels are, how stressed you are, what medication you're on. Like the list is literally endless. So oh, it goes on and on and on. But I would love like people that are listening, my, my medical practitioner, her name is Cynthia, Cynthia Monteleone. It's fast over 40 on Instagram. 
Um, you can reach out to her. She is amazing. She's based out of Hawaii, but she does like, if you're storing stress, it's going to show in your stomach. If you're doing toxins, it's going to show in your hamstrings. Like she figures out what's going on in your body and can cater something specifically to you. And I think that is exactly to your point. That's, that's the game changer there. The other thing that I'd love for you to reflect on a little bit, uh, maybe the journey, the Mm -hmm. mental journey that went with this is you, you mentioned that there were coaches or people that were surrounding you at different times that were overly critical or perhaps just critical about your body and maybe focus a little bit more on that than what was happening within your performance. So can you just shed some light on, on really what that was like for you? In college, I just remember feeling so insecure and so frustrated because I didn't know you know, the, even the nutritionists in college, like, you know, they were giving me things or saying like, yeah, you're doing anything right. They weren't helping me much. And I didn't know what to do. So I just remember being so frustrated and genetically, you know, I think my genetics are just a little bit different and was constantly comparing and then having male coaches specifically that I just don't think fully understand or know how to tactfully address things in that way. Um, but having, you know, those tactful conversations with females, I think is hard for men sometimes and male coaches. So I just think going mm. through that was a little bit different and hard to um, have those conversations because for me, I would just shut off and take it in and not, you know, have an open conversation about it. Um, and then just get more insecure and more frustrated. So that was definitely really tough in college, I would say more than anything. You make your first Olympic team. Where are you? Um, I was in Eugene, Oregon, um, with my whole family, um, which is amazing because, you know, they hadn't really gotten to watch me in like two years because of COVID. Um, my entire family and like some of my best friends were up in the stadium. My sister made it, her flight got, she's a track coach in Colorado. So her flight actually got canceled on Saturday. So Sunday she made it only because they postponed the 800, like eight hours or whatever because of the heat. And so right when I lined up to the line, like, and, and at that point, the stadium was full, but I heard my sister say like, go Annie and uh, looked up in the crowd. Like I get teary eyed thinking about it, but she made it for my last race and um, she's a track coach too. So it was just really special to have her there and my whole family. Cause it's just been truly such a team effort to get me to that point. So to be able to share that moment um, with them was amazing. They, my family came down and hugged them. My fiance came down um, and was able to hug and kiss him. And we just had one of the most emotional moments because of anyone he's been there the day to day and the ups and downs. And he's dealt with me coming home crying or whatever, feeling like I can't do it. Um, so to get to that moment together, was just super special. Yeah. And you, you spoke about how much it meant to you that your sister was there. Mm -hmm. Also your family to touch on worthy of noting here, you have a lot of athleticism in your family. Your dad, Played in a Super Bowl? Yes, 76 with the Raiders. Casual. So for you, <laughs> what was it like growing up in a family where there was definitely a stress on athletics? Um, you know, I look back at my childhood and my the thing that I'm really grateful for is my parents always allowed me to make my own choices. They didn't push me in any direction. Um, and I think just innately, I, you know, I'm just a hard worker. I loved what I was doing. So they didn't have to force me to go to practice or force me to stay after or anything like that. Um, they really allowed me to make those decisions for myself. And then I think just being in a family that's so sports oriented and having my dad, who's been at the elite level, he's been in the pro level, he's won a Super Bowl. to have that resource growing up was so priceless because he just gets it. And, and, you know, my mom, it was a different era back then. Like she, you know, I think she played softball a little bit, but they didn't have a lot of sports offered to her. So she doesn't fully understand, you know, what I'm going through. And so to have my dad to lean into and like have those moments where like, Hey, I'm having this self doubt or Hey, like, how do I make this team? And how do I push myself? Or how do I handle this situation? Just having that resource there was just amazing. Um, and he's just been my role model for sure. As far as sports go. Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert coming in number six in the world in your first <laughs> Olympics. Like does saying that or hearing that ever get old? I honestly don't know that it's like even fully hit me. Like, I think it'll <laughs> hit me like in 10 years, you know, like, cause I'm still in it right now. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I want more. Like, what do you mean? Like I need, you know, so, um, I'm, and it's just funny because like a year ago, you know, over a little bit over a year ago before the trials, if you told me that I'd been like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. 
And now I'm just like, my now my goals are just different and I have my expectations are a little bit higher. And so it's amazing, but I want more for sure. I want more for sure. So the question <laughs> is, what's more? You know, after Olympic trials, scoring in the 6,700 range, I, you know, I was just trying to get the standard. I was just trying to get top three. I didn't even expect to be able to win it, let alone score 6,700 points. And so um, for me, it's just like, oh my gosh, it opened my eyes to what there's more there. there that ceiling's even higher than I realized. And let's see how much further we can get in three more years. Like the amount that I've learned in the last, you know, four or five years in this, in this Olympic process is just like we talked about, I'm a completely different athlete and the knowledge and the mental training and the nutrition, all of that. So I'm like, I just feel like there's so much more in these next couple of years that I can get to that level and, and be a medal contender. And that's one of my biggest goals for sure. And we talked about, uh, you know, and joked a little bit about being above average in a lot of these events. But <laughs> of course, that would also mean that at times you're not going to perform at your very best because there's just so much going on. Can you talk to us or maybe shed some light on how you've had to pick yourself up after something didn't go as planned? That is probably, if you talk to any heptathlete, the biggest struggle of the sport. You know, going through COVID, I found my mental coach. And if I hadn't found him, I don't know that I'd ever figured that out. Um, and what he taught me a lot of is like mindfulness and being present and accepting what is. And that has been, because I'm just an emotional person in general. Like, I, you know, I cried in Monsters, Inc. Like I'm an emotional person. <laughs> and so battling that when I, when I do, when I have an event that doesn't go my way or, or I come up short and not stewing in it and allowing it to seep into the next event was really, really tough. Um, and it happened at the Olympics. Like I almost fell in the hurdles first event. I lost half a second. I felt like I was like, I was leading over four hurdles, clipped one and almost fell, uh, finished the race. But you see me pass the finish line and I kind of go like, ah, dang. And then it's gone. Like I didn't hold on to it. I accepted what happened and I legit was just able to drop it and move on to the next event. And so learning how to be present, learning to accept what is and knowing that there it's in the past. There's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is execute your next event. And I think figuring that out is probably the biggest battle, but it's, it'll, what it's going to be what makes you successful in the heptathlon. Um, because if you go into heptathlon thinking it's all going to go the way you want it to, and you're going to do amazing in every event, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, I think, some of your better heptathlons are just going to be your, your, your average, your averages of all your events. If you have averages of all your events, you're going to have a great score. Um, and I think a lot of times there's looking for those PRs in every event. And that's when you kind of get in that, in those frustrated moods. And, um, so yeah, adapting to that and figuring that out has been the reason I think I was actually successful in the, in 2021. Yeah. But I mean, obviously so much bigger than heptathlon, right? That whole oh my mentality. Gosh. Oh, my fiance is super grateful for that training. <laughs> It's helped us tremendously. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that's so cool. Sports are amazing and the medals and, you know, the championships are great. But it's like, these are the things that are going to carry me through in my relationship with my family, with my kids and my job after this. Um, this is such a small blip. It feel, It doesn't feel that way, but it's such a small blip in our life. And um, the lessons and the values that I've learned, I think is what I'm most grateful for through this Olympic process and the Olympic journey, because, you know, they're, they're they really are priceless things that I'll teach my kids and, and I'll hopefully be able to have them learn them a lot sooner than I did and be more successful early. So of course, sport, a huge part of your life, you have like gushed over your fiance a few times. Now, when are you getting married? I feel like you're getting married <laughs> soon. <laughs> I thought so. That's been the, that's been the debate <laughs> in this house. Um, <laughs> I initially was like, let's get married before the Olympics. Let's like do it soon. Like, I think like right after we got engaged, I was talking about getting married like this December and he like, his eyes just were huge. And he was like, oh my God, that's so much money. What are you talking about? <laughs> and now I've sat in it a little bit longer and I think we're actually going to wait. We're gonna have a long engagement and it's going to be like right after Paris. So um, yeah, I think it'll be, you know, be able to close that chapter. It's going to be my last Olympic run. Hopefully, you know, God willing to make the team and then we can come back, go to Mexico have a week-long celebration with family and friends and go on a long honeymoon, enjoy being married because 
it is just a pressure cooker the year of the Olympics. So getting married right before it, I just don't think would have been the best decision. A nice finish line after hopefully your other finish lines. Yes, exactly. Yes, so exactly. Uh, beside obviously this exciting big life event for you and the series of life events for you, I'm sure that there are other things. And I know that there are other things that you deal with in your life outside of sports. So talk to me about how that's been in the scheme of things, how you have been able to either make time or show up or navigate the hardships that happen when you're not on the track, when you're not on the field. That's been kind of the cool part about this year is navigating those things that I'm not used to and like just Mm. kind of living that normal life. And I think it's been good because you know, I think when it's, you know, whenever you're in something, you're always wishing or thinking about something else. You're wishing, you're moving, wanting to be on to that next thing or whatever. And I think when I'm in the heat of season, I'm like missing out on weddings or missing out on barbecues and, and, and just casual stuff with friends that I have to say no to a lot. Um, I'm not drinking, I'm doing, I'm just, I'm very structured. And, and so to have kind of that time this year to live my life a little bit and just, have a breather and enjoy my friends and family. Cause that's probably the most important thing in me to be able to just, you know, have a Saturday, go walk my dogs down by the beach. It's been really nice to kind of recharge and allow myself to do that. And I think I struggled allowing myself to, and I kind of hit that brink. I'm like, okay, I have to lean into this and just let myself live a little bit. I'm still working out. I'm not just like sitting on the couch all day long, but lean into refilling my cup that way. And, um, and then, navigating real life stuff has been cool, but it's kind of like what we just talked about before. It's, you know, those lessons and being mindful and present and meditation and things like that are carrying me through this year. And when I don't have that thing that has been my identity for so long. So, um, it's been super cool. And I think it'll help me be really excited to get back to the track, um, and more motivated for the next two years. You know, I had a registered dietitian on the show recently, and she was talking about this idea that, you know, when you're trying to quote unquote, be good, and you don't want to eat certain things or drink certain things, uh, and you go out with friends, and then the whole time that you're out with your friends, you're like feeling some kind of way that you, yes, that you were there and that you did whatever. And she said that the client will then come in and say to her, oh my God, I did this thing. I eat whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then she'll look at her and she's like, but did you have fun? Like, what? Where was your head at? Was your head the entire time that you were with these people that actually like were excited to see you? You haven't seen them in a while. And you're sitting there and your whole focus is on quote unquote messing up with your diet. Like that's just like no way that you want to live. So for you, how did you squash that inner critic or get used to cultivating a more positive conversation within your own mind? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just learning to be present. Like, and I think, and you know, that's what the, been the thing that's made me so successful in track is learning how to be present and then taking that into my day-to-day life now. So if I am with friends on a Saturday and they're drinking and I want to have like lean into that, like have a couple of drinks, obviously don't go black out every weekend, but, yeah. you know, like enjoy yourself a little bit. And I think it's really tough because we are constantly in that battle of you know, anxiety of the future, depression of the past, things that like, oh my gosh, I ate that donut or future things like, oh my gosh, I ate that donut. And now my, my workout's going to be harder. Or, oh, I had a, you know, a couple of drinks this weekend. Monday's workout's going to be the, it's like, you're constantly thinking about the future or past instead of just being in the moment that you're in. And so I feel like that's been what I have to ground myself in is like, okay, put things in perspective. The Olympics aren't tomorrow. <laughs> They're not next month, you know, and I'm still working out. I'm still working with my, at my whole village of people that are helping me be successful. But if you don't lean into those moments, you're going to be, then I'm going to be in season and I'm be like, gosh, I wish I would have enjoyed myself this last summer instead of constantly thinking about, you know, this season or this fall training or whatever. And so just being present in the moment you're in, I feel like has really helped me ground and just be able to accept those, those moments and and not be hard on myself. I think the inner critic is tough and we're always going to battle that, but putting things in perspective and trying to be present has helped me for sure. You talked about how you navigate the quote unquote hurdles that could come up in the myriad of events that are happening during the heptathlon. Mm -hmm. When you are in the middle of these tough moments and giving something your all, what do you Mm -hmm. think of? Where does your mind go when you're in that struggle? Executing. So I am constantly, you know, I have about two to three cues per event that I am just hammering. Like that's what I go to. And I think it's, um, you know, you have, we call it like monkey brain where you're going to have all these little thoughts that pop in. 
And it's just learning to, you know, look at that thought, accept it, and then bring your attention back to your executing. So you're not trying to deny that it's there. You're, you're kind of just accepting that it's there and then coming back to what you need to execute. And that's really helped me along with a lot of breathing exercises that I do. So whether it's shot put and I need to calm my central nervous system or it's the 800 and I'm kind of like trying to put myself up, I feel like I have a lot of tools like breathing and cues and things like that, that kind of bring me to center. And then I also, I think if I go into those moments where you're feeling anxiety or fear, I think fear can be debilitating in, in especially in a moment, moment like the Olympics, I ground myself in gratitude. And so like, even at the Olympic trials, like if that fear of not making the team was popping in or my fear of coming up short in an event, I just look at the crowd and see my family and be like, I am so grateful that I have this opportunity no matter what happens and just kind of letting go and allowing yourself to execute and be in the moment, I think just helped me be successful for sure. For sure. So someone comes to maybe your Instagram page and they see an Olympian, a heptathlete with over 60,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, what does Annie see? Oh gosh, getting deep with me here. You know, I think that it's funny you talk about that because I think that if I look back you know, one of the toughest lessons I think you have to learn is like, you are more than your sport. I'm more than what I do. And that took a while for me to figure out. And I'd be lying to you if, you know, I, I think you still, I still struggle with that a little bit, but I think that's, what's been so special about this year is figuring out who is Annie when that thing that has made me, me for so long is gone. Um, and I, you know, I love my dog. I'm a free, I'm a Frenchie lover. I love my dogs. I love spending time with family. I have my two godchildren that I am just obsessed with. I can't wait to have kids and be a mom someday. So I think just figuring out what makes me happy when that thing isn't there, you know, finding little hobbies and things like that, like crafts and redecorating my house. I love doing that stuff. So things like that, I'm just really leaning into too, so that when that thing is gone permanently, that I know who I am and I'm not going to have that struggle of my identity for a while. What excites you right now? Oh gosh. I mean, the future. I think what's exciting to me is seeing, you know, what else I can do in this sport, how far I can push my body once I'm healed. I think that's super, super exciting. And um, just, you know, life stuff. I'm so excited that I'm finally engaged. You know, we, we've been together almost five years. Um, looking forward to that next chapter. And, um, and then kids, I, I can't wait to have babies. All of my friends have kids. So it's like, it's birth control sometimes, but then sometimes like, oh, but they're so cute. Like it's like baby fever, but also birth control. So I think that's super exciting when the Olympics are over. We're definitely gonna have kids soon. And um and then also just I think um leaning into the younger generation of girls and athletes, I think is something that I'm really passionate about and would love to get involved with more um organizations or even like start my own camp someday or something like that where I can give back to those young athletes. Because, you know, kids are the future. And if I knew half the stuff I know now at a younger age, I feel like I would have been successful so much sooner. So to be able to share that knowledge is something I'm really passionate about as well. The stuff that you wish that you knew sooner, anything when you think about a younger you that you wish that someone kind of filled you in on from the get go? I think be present. I mean, being present. It's like, I, I feel like I look back at you know, college or like, especially college and just like that, that experience, I was constantly living in anxiety or depression of things that have already happened or might happen. And I just wasn't in the moment. And it goes by so fast too. like, and even high school, I had such an amazing experience, but I don't feel like I was ever fully present. So it goes by so quick. And those memories are so precious that I wish someone would have tried to help me to like learn meditation and mindfulness and being present in those moments. Cause I just feel like I would have been able to take them in a little bit more and, and then also be more successful and, and be in the moment that I am in. So that's probably the biggest piece of advice I wish I could have given my younger self. It's just like be in the moment you're in. I feel like what's that other saying? It's run the race you're in. Yes. Yeah. Run your race. <laughs> run, run your own run race. Your race. Yeah. Run your race. <laughs> Where do you garner your inspiration and motivation from? Does it really come just rooted from your village? Mm -hmm. I think it does. Um, but I also think that's just me. Like I, you know, I have, I think I like at high school interview, they're like, what do you like, where, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I want to go to the Olympics. Like I've just always kind of had that inner drive and my parents had said that too. Like they've never had to push me really with, with like, you know, athletics or my academics. Even I was always just kind of 
getting my stuff done because I innately wanted to do it and I wanted to push myself. And I think what motivates me the most is just seeing what I can do. Like what, how far can I push my body? What can I do in this sport? Like, I want to find that out. I want to see how high my ceiling is in the sport. Um, and I think because I was so late to the heptathlon, it's been so exciting and I feel like there's so much more to learn still. So seeing how much I can learn, seeing how far I can push my body and what I can do in the sport definitely motivates me. I also find it pretty admirable. I know that you're stopping in Eugene next week to go and be there and support and also just like kind of show face. Is that difficult for you at all? You know, I thought it would be harder, actually. I thought when, you know, when that opportunity was given to me, I was like, oh, I wonder, like, at the, at the in the moment, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds super exciting. But then I kind of sat and I'm like, oh, will that be kind of depressing? Like, will that be hard? But I think just it goes back to, like, putting things in perspective. Like, the moment that I'm in right now is getting healthy and building that foundation for the future. The moment that other athletes are in, they might be they're having their best year yet and they're going to go, you know, contend for a medal. And like, that's awesome for them. Like, it's just different. And I think you have to stop comparing yourself to other athletes and things like that and build each other up because we're all in the same struggle. We're all just doing our best. We all want to be successful. And so I think if you're hoping and wishing that other people aren't successful because you want to be in that role is just setting yourself up for failure too. So I try to just, you know, live in the moment that I'm in and be happy for others because that's their, this might be their moment. So just kind of accepting that, I think. In our conversation today, you reflected so openly and beautifully about, you know, taking that back seat and taking that back step and, and using this time to your advantage instead of thinking of it as a disadvantage. So right now you have the opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice at the beginning of this hurdle moment for you when you found out that you were going to have to slow down. What would you tell yourself with the know-how that you have now? You know, learn from your past experiences because I look back at COVID and you know, in the moment, it felt awful. It was depressing. It was hard, but it's the year that defined me as an athlete. And I was out there doing, you know, I was sneaking into parks by myself and I was, I was taking that time to get better. And so I think looking back on that experience and reminding yourself like, okay, look at what you did with that time. Look at how you used your time. Then it's different. Now you can't do the same things but leaning into everything happens for a specific purpose and reason and knowing that and believing that and trusting that um, is what I would say to myself because you've done it before, you can do it again. If you've done it before, you can do it again. Annie, I'm so happy <laughs> that we were able to make this happen. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us your details. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Um, I am on Instagram, mostly Annie underscore Koontz 7. I'm on Twitter, Annie underscore Koontz, but I am more active on Instagram for sure. I'm on TikTok, but uh, I feel like a geriatric with that stuff. Like, I don't know how to work it. <laughs> What's the seven for? I was number seven in college. That was my soccer number. Haha. Ha. Okay. Yeah. Well, I am over at Emily Body and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>